Really, I'll tell you a story. I was a homicide detective when I was in San Jose, and we had a, a brutal murder. Uh, individual killed his girlfriend. You know, not to get too over graphic, but she was pregnant, and it was a stabbing. So he killed her, killed a couple of her daughters, and then lit the house on fire. And there was a lot of officers that responded, and like I'll never forget when the fire was out and uh, suspect was in custody. We were doing a search of the house because you know one of the victims was missing. And I will never forget, it's vivid in my mind, as I'm, as, you know, homicide detectives, we're out there at the scene, and I'm going around the house, and I peer into the bedroom, one of the bedrooms in the rear of the house, and there was the, you know, a scorched bed, and right in between the bed and the wall and the window was the body of one of the little girls that he had stabbed and who was now burned. And that, that image is vivid. And so me and my partner at the time, my partner had four kids, you know, and I have three. So between the two of us, we had, you know, seven kids together, right? And, you know, we weren't necessarily as affected, but we found out later on that there was, a, there was somebody that responded to that scene. And to this day, I don't know, that had, that was going through some serious issues. And so at the time, the system we had in place is our chaplain would come in and bring the group together and talk about the incident. And I remember getting invited to that. And this, uh, again, you know, I was a sergeant at the time, so it was a long time ago. And, you know, I was one of those guys that turned to my partner. I go, why am I going to this? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Why, why am I going to this? Being in homicide, I think, at least for me, we get some closure, right? When you see an incident like that, we strive to bring those victims justice, right? The, the closure we get is by getting that suspect, and we did, and following through the investigation, getting them convicted, um, which we did. And so that's kind of the pathway for healing, I guess, so to speak, which is probably a short-sighted way to look at it. Um, the other pathway is just going home and hugging your kids, you know, at the end of the day also. But the point of it is, is that now I understand the importance of us having been in that group because for the individual that was affected, you know, if there's people there that aren't affected, they were supporting, we were supporting the individual that was. And that's important. That's why I don't think that way anymore, right? And I learned from that, that, you know, it wasn't about whether I was okay and my partner was okay or not. It was the fact that we were there, even though we felt fine with what we went through, that we were there in support of whoever was having difficulty with it. It's officer safety. You're there. Don't roll your eyes. If you don't need help, don't ask a question. But you're there if you're not affected to support your brother or sister who is affected. And that is a derivative of officer safety. And people that don't practice that mantra, then you know what? You don't really get to say we love each other, right? You don't really get to say that. We need to normalize the fact that if you're going through some sort of mental trauma, that you reach out for help. But we equally have to normalize the, like you go to a gym every day when you're in shape. We have to normalize the fact that, you know what, having periodic check-ins with specialists just to kind of talk about certain things before it turns into something greater is just as important as well. It's easy to say that you care about your officer's wellness, but until you put resources towards that, it doesn't mean anything gotta do things out you gotta not think outside the box but act outside the box there's way too much thinking outside the box there's got to be acting outside the box we should be doing difficult things uh, to better our profession and not look at something being so difficult you know i always use the mantra listen we're planting trees that we're never going to experience the shade under
know anybody who hasn't done it, but if there's someone out there that's saying officer wellness is important, if they've not put resources towards it, it really means nothing. You will save lives. I mean, I don't say that as hyperbole. Um, you will save lives. You will, uh, you will save officers' families. You will save marriages. Uh, you will save kids from getting on the conveyor belt that have seen their parents go through this. It is so far-reaching and so important to do. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATL family. This show's mission has many purposes. It's meant to motivate, inspire, educate, and at the very least, you might be entertained. During your daily drive, your workout, or your escape from your busy life. One mission I didn't mention is that we also want to help provide hope. Today, we want to welcome on Back to the mic, the leader of the Dallas Police Department, Dallas PD Chief Eddie Garcia. Chief, thanks for coming back. No, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, we've had a lot of we've had a hard couple months here with Dallas PD, and we we feel it's important to get you back on to talk about this department's mission and stay in the course, uh, especially when it comes to mental health. So you ready to dive into it? Let's do it. Chief, when you started in 92, I've heard you talk about this before, about the, the outlook on mental health in this profession. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I talk about this quite often is that from a cultural perspective in the last, you know, being someone that, you know, I've been doing this job in this profession for over three decades. So I've seen the changes that have happened and oftentimes it doesn't get the attention that it deserves, but dealing with the mental wellness of police officers is one of the biggest cultural changes that's occurred in American law enforcement. Uh, when I started in 92, man, I remember if, uh, if there was a call that screwed me up and I looked at my partner and I go, man, dude, that call messed me up a little bit. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. My partner would have looked at me and said, dude, we need to suck it up. We got, we got nine more hours. So I, we would have sucked it up. If I would have told my lieutenant at that time in the early 90s that that call screwed me up, my lieutenant and anybody that's been here uh, that started that long ago will tell you this is absolute fact. That lieutenant would have looked at me in the eye and said, kid, maybe this isn't the right job for you. That's not hyperbole. That's reality. That's how law enforcement was. Um, I like to tell you that in California and I would imagine nationally. Um, and, uh, and that just needed to change. 
Uh, absolutely needed to change. Uh, the, the issue and the, the problem is, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, we get a lot of, uh, and I've spoken to a lot of my buddies that are retirees that still have that same old mentality. Um, and we all know those retirees that have been through it and have dealt with it and they may have their own demons. Um, but you know, they'll, you know, they, I've had arguments with some of my good friends and go, no, man, we got to think differently. We got to think differently. Um, it's, it's not, it wasn't right the way we thought back then. Um, and so it's a big culture shift, uh, not only for, you know, our current rank and file that are working for us to be able to come forward, right? Cause that's one of the most difficult things that we do, right? The, the whole part of the job and the whole machismo part of it. And, uh, you know, that our men and women go through with regards to not wanting to seem weak, uh, by coming forward, um, internally, but then really, you know, we have, uh, those officers that, you know, that have retired, that have lived, gone through the fires as well, that may not be on that same page that we need to change the culture. Um, and that's absolutely false. Uh, it needs to happen uh, in order for us to get better. You started the wellness unit over over a year ago. It's actually been a year, almost two years, you, you put Chief Ramirez in charge said, hey, take the temperature of the department, see what's going on. Why did you feel a need to do that? Why did, why did you think that we would need a unit like this well you know looking at the the trauma we face uh talking to individuals and how difficult it is for uh people to come forward uh the lack of trust that they have in administrations right i mean that's just i mean that's again that's a that's a three decade long if not long much longer than that of of, of lack of trust administrations the fact that you know it's difficult to get police officers to come forward and they have issues uh, that's affecting their lives their work their family lives uh, really want to get a unit that really was proactive about it you know as i often say listen staffing issues are staffing issues and every department's going through it but you know it, it's easy to say that you care about your officer's wellness but until you put resources towards that it doesn't mean anything and I hate to say it if there's other departments elsewhere that say it's important but have yet to put resources to it. I'll just say it. It means nothing. It's hollow. Uh, I could use, we could use every one of the, those individuals in that, that are in that unit out in the field and doing things. But without the wellness of our officers being paramount, there's no crime plan. There's no community outreach that's going to be successful. And so it was important. You know, obviously looking at the amount of officers that were getting into trouble uh, for alcohol-related offenses – uh, was something that dawned on me. And I said, listen, we have to be more proactive, which is one of the reasons we start, started our alcohol rehabilitation program, but we had to be more proactive. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's been well documented now that if officers come forward before they get into trouble, uh, that we're going to help them, uh, that we want to help them. And there's been a lot of success stories around that. Uh, but we need to be better. We need to be better. We need to be more proactive. Um, it's, there's a myriad of issues that I think is a cheat that you have to deal with. Um, but this is one that's so easily forgotten, but arguably one of the most important things you have to do, um, because you have to come to the realization, um, and haven't done this job. And, you know, I've said this all the time, I'm a cop first and I'm a chief second. And, you know, I see what our officers go through every day and ensuring that I've done ev that, that this department has done try to do everything we can to ensure that the resources are out there uh, is important. Now, I'm not naive, right? I always know that whenever departments roll these things out, that there's going to be some distrust and, okay, what's the catch here? There's got to be a catch. And I think in, with, with regards to the alcohol rehabilitation program and whatever, it, you know, I think it's important to ensure that our rank and file feel that there's 
a lot of trust between you know the sixth floor and what we're trying to accomplish but i think that then well, that will permeate throughout all the other programs that we'll try to launch that there is no catch here that we just want to make sure that our officers stay healthy um you know if, if officers are going in going through some trauma that we can get them the help they need uh but to be frank you know i'll, I'll draw this akin to physical fitness you know one of my mantras with physical fitness is the best way to get in shape is to stay in shape and so from a mental health perspective, the way to stay mentally healthy, uh, the way to get mentally healthy is to stay mentally healthy and to really take that stigma away from just having a conversation uh, with individuals and having those resources available. Um, but it's something that I hope more and more um, departments uh, undertake. I know from a major city chief's perspective, this is a huge uh, point of emphasis for us with regards to mental health and mental wellness and how do we make our officers better. Uh, from the community. I've heard many times from the community, community meetings before we started the wellness program is, you know, what are we doing for officers' mental mental wellness? Because they recognize and realize what what some of our officers see in a day, uh, sometimes in a day, if not a week, if not a week or in a day, is more than any, uh, you know, resident is going to see in their lives, right? That has an impact. Um, and I think I think all of us are starting to, re- not all of us, I, mean, I think, I think, most are starting to recognize that it's normal. We need to normalize the fact that if you're going through some sort of mental trauma, that you reach out for help. But we equally have to normalize the, like you go to a gym every day when you're in shape. We have to normalize the fact that, you know what, having periodic check-ins with specialists just to kind of talk about certain things before it turns into something greater uh, is just as important as well. It's like you're doing a maintenance check basically on your body and your mind. Absolutely. Just getting, you don't have to be in crisis before you make that phone call or before you ask for resource. We want, we want to establish a culture where we can actually talk about, we, and and I think you've done that and we've done that with this unit already just a year in. I can't tell you how many people ring the doorbell. I got an email actually on Facebook just this week from a very young officer saying he's struggling. I don't think that would have happened, and I've been here since '97. I know the cult. I know this long-standing culture in this department. That would not have happened early in my career. You wouldn't have that, especially from a young a young officer that has more fear because he feels he's being judged by the older officers. And this, the profession is intimidating. That it absolutely is. It is an intimidating profession. You know, to harken back to the or the story I gave you, or what would have happened in the early '90s. Um, you know, that still is going through the minds of officers. But I think. There's a level of trust that's being built. You you have all done a tremendous job. I could not be prouder of the work uh, you're doing. As I always say, man, a, a coach is only as good as his or her players. And you guys have embraced it from what was a 64,000 view level and have done so much for it, uh, with it. Uh, and we need to continue to do more. Um, and uh, and again, I think I think we're starting, you know, again, it's like moving a, moving a cruise ship, moving a battleship. Not going to happen overnight. This is an entrenched culture that we have. Uh, but I can honestly look in. The, I think we can all look in the mirror uh, and say the pendulum is starting to swing uh, within the Dallas Police within the Dallas Police Department. By the messages I get from people from around the country, from other PDs reaching out all the time, wanting to know, hey, what are y'all doing down there in Dallas? What you know, they <clears throat> had people that reach out after the Chiefs Magazine article, and then also just people here in the podcast. Hey. Would you mind if we come down and meet with y'all? And can we see your policies? Can we look at your playbook? Gladly, we want to help. But I will say that's different uh, from our department, from the main, some of the other ones that I've, I've reached, that have reached out to me, and I've gone back and forth with. They don't have support from the top. 
and that is extremely important starting something like this. You're talking about a culture change. You're not talking about a chase policy or or the way you wear a beard or where you, you know, a uniform policy. This is changing a culture that has been going on, you know, has been entrenched for centuries. You know, this place has been in business for over 140 years. It's it's hard to change something that's that established. It's very difficult. But, you know what, you do things that are difficult. Uh, you have to do things that are difficult. Um, I can't recite the JFK speech that he gave as to why we went to the moon. But we do. We're, we should be doing difficult things uh, to better our profession and not look at something being so difficult. You know, I always use the mantra, listen, we're planting trees that we're never going to experience the shade of, shade under. Um, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. Um, and, you know, we need to establish something that starts good now. And within five, 10 years, we're going to look back, you know, I'll be able to look back from wherever I'm at. You can look back. We can all look back from wherever we're at, at that point in time and look at this police department and go, that's what we wanted. That's the direction we wanted. And you have to, we get too stuck on making changes immediately. And when we deal with culture issues in the department, we can't think like that. We got to start with small things uh, and they're difficult things, uh, but you got to do them to better the department, I think any police chief that takes takes a helm of a department has to look at its weaknesses and how do you how do you make them better? You know, there'll be another chief after me that'll come in and say, you know what, I'm going to make it better than when Chief Garcia was here. Uh, I hope they do that. They have to do that. Um, and you know, that's how we better this profession. But that was a huge blind spot I felt that we had, uh, and not just we. I mean, it's a national issue. It shouldn't have been so new, really. I mean, we see a lot of initiatives now. Um, but it's something that, that I'm proud of. Um, and it's something that, you know, of, of, of all the initiatives that we've started here in Dallas and nearly the three years that we've been here together. Um, I think this is one, definitely uh, one of the ones that we should be most proud of. Did you have the similar outlook when you were in San Jose? I had the similar outlook when we were in San Jose. We had, we had systems in place, uh, when I was in San Jose with regards to the crisis teams and when individuals were, uh, uh, involved in, in high stress and in, in situations that could, you know, screw them up. Uh, but we needed to be more proactive, right? I mean, you know, that's one of the things that you, you learn, uh, from having done this job. I mean, my, I think I'm in my, my eighth year of being a police chief, um, and nearly 32 years on and, and, you know, you, you start, you, you learn as you go, right? right. You know, it's like every year you learn something else. And so when I got here, you know, that was one of the things that we just need to be more proactive um, because I know cops. I'm one. Uh, and I know it's very, very difficult to come forward. And so we had those outlooks, but we didn't, weren't doing enough. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, there's systems in place here. Uh, you know, our psych services does a great job as well. But as we all know, off, sometimes officers don't feel comfortable. They feel that it's somewhat part of the department and there's some angst and distrust. And they do a tremendous job and, as well. And so we had a lot of great things here uh, that we could build on. It wasn't like necessarily we were starting something from scratch, but we wanted to go from good to great. Um, and, uh, you know, and we need to continue to, to work, to strive, to, 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 to get there. We've got a long way to go, and there's a lot more things we got to do. But, uh, yeah, we had this, I had the same mentality, um, you know. And it really isn't necessarily, because I'll tell you a story. I was a homicide detective um, when I was in San Jose, and we had a, a brutal murder uh, individual, uh, you know, killed his girlfriend, um, you know, not to get too over graphic, but she was pregnant and he, 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 it was a stabbing. So he killed her, killed a couple of her daughters and then lit the house on fire. 
and there was a lot of officers that responded and like, I'll never forget, you know, when the fire was out and uh, suspect was in custody, we were doing a search of the house because, you know, one of the victims was missing and I will never forget. It's vivid in my mind as I'm, as you know, homicide detectives, we're out there at the scene and I'm going around the house and I peer into the bedroom, one of the bedrooms in the rear of the house. And there was the, you know, a scorched bed and right in between the bed and the wall and the window was the body of one of the little girls that he had stabbed and who was now, you know, burned. And that, that image is vivid. And so me and my partner at the time, my partner had four kids, you know, and I have three. So between the two of us, we had, you know, seven kids together. Right. And you know, we weren't necessarily as affected, but we found out later on that there was a, there was somebody that responded to that scene, and to this day I don't know, that had that was going through some serious issues. And so at the time, the system we had in place is our chaplain would come in and bring the group together and talk about the incident. And I remember getting invited to that. And this uh, again, you know, I was a sergeant at the time, so it was a long time ago. And you know, I was one of those guys that turned to my partner. I go, Why am I going to this? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Why, why am I going to this? And, you know, being in homicide, I think, at least for me, we get some closure, right? When you see an incident like that, we strive to bring those victims justice, right? The, the closure we get is by getting that suspect. Um, and we did and following through the investigation, getting them convicted, um, which we did. And, and so that's kind of the pathway for healing, I guess, so to speak, which is probably a short-sighted way to look at it. Um, the other pathway is just going home and hugging your kids, you know, at the end of the day also. But the point of it is, is that now I understand the importance of us having been in that group because for the individual that was affected, you know, if there's people there that aren't affected, it, it's, they were supporting, we were supporting the individual that was. And that's important. And that's why I don't think that way anymore, right? And I learned from that, that, you know, it wasn't about whether I was okay and my partner was okay or not. It was the fact that we were there, even though we felt fine with what we had, with what we went through, that we were there in support of whoever was having difficulty with it, right? That they may not, and, and I thought about it at the time. I said, and I get it. I get they have no control over this case, right? Like the control we had was, okay, we're frustrated. We want to bring justice to this family. Um, but there's other people that aren't the hom lead homicide detectives on this case that may not have that outlet, um, you know, and to be there in support uh, was so important uh, back then. Um, and, and and that's how we're carrying it on, carrying on now. And that's why I like to see, you know, when we brought the the experts in to talk to our rank and file for the recent tragedies that we've had is that I know not everyone's affected, but that the importance of them being in the room together is that they support their brother and sister. You know, we, we talk about officer safety, right? If you go to one single officer in this department and says, hey, if your brother or sister officer is calling for, uh, for code three cover uh, because uh, they're in a fight with someone, there's not an officer in this police department that's going to say, I'm, I, I, I'm dropping everything I'm doing. I'm going to risk my life to save my partner. Well, this is kind of no different, right? I mean, we're there for it's still officer safety. Um, and to be there in support, uh, of, of, you know, of our men and women, even when we're not affected is just, is, is just as important as being affected and asking for help. So David Massey with the wellness unit was talking to a group one day and 
he said something that kind of caught me off guard, and I'll paraphrase it here, but he basically said, if you don't agree with what we're doing, if you don't like it, just be quiet about it because what I'm doing might help somebody else in this room. And we, as cops, we're pretty bad about shitting on each other, right? So bad-mouthing what the wellness is doing just because it doesn't work for you or you might not need the help might keep somebody else from actually going and getting the help that they need. So very similar to what you're saying, and it's I think that having somebody stand up and actually say that is a, a huge deal to moving the, the tide to the direction we want. It's it it, it is it is officer safety, right? If it's officer, if you care about, I mean, if you're in you're in that room for a reason. If you weren't the one affected, I'm not. Call, we're not calling these individuals in because no one's affected. Someone's affected, and so we love each other, right? We talk about that all the time. Uh, we give each other shit. There's no question about it. And the banter, and I wouldn't have it any other way in a department. Uh, that's what's amazing to work with men and women. And you know, we we have to cut the the tension and the stress with humor, and we do that. Uh, and sometimes we bag on each other quite a bit, but when it comes to this, these types of issues, it's officer safety. You're there. Don't roll your eyes. If you don't need help, don't ask a question, but you're there. If you're not affected to support your brother and sister, your brother or sister who is affected. And that is a derivative of officer safety. Uh, and, and, and people that don't practice that mantra, then you know what? You don't really get to say we love each other, right? You don't really get to say that. Um, and so, I mean, it's just important, uh, to really, to take that in, uh, and to recognize the fact that you're, we're here for each other. Um, and if you're not affected and you're in, 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 in a way that you're, by you being there, by you not rolling your eyes, by you just sitting there and listen, you may not know who it is, um, but you're helping somebody. And I want to kind of touch on that a little bit, chief is one of our recent tragedies. I was out at the scene. And I'm just going to tell you from my perspective, you showed up and you went and talked to the widow. And then right afterwards, you came over to me and you said, I want all of my special ops people to be in front front of a group or a counselor tomorrow. You said, I don't care how you do it. I want it done. And I was stunned and kind of taken aback like, oh, that's that's a big undertaking. But I believe I believed in what you just told me and you ordered it out i can't tell you how much i respected that and i'm like i'm go- we're going to do everything we're going to move heaven and earth to make this happen long story short the very next day we had everybody in special ops and i counted them up there's roughly over 300 officers officers in that in all these meetings throughout the whole day dr t's group came out and met with them all and that is it was close to 10 percent of the department and that was like a sandlot football play we drew up on the side of the house literally on the side of a house in the dirt i can't thank you enough for that no i listen i can't thank you enough i i recognize how daunting a task that was uh, to get all of our special ops groups uh in a room the very next day um i couldn't have been more impressed with the work that you all did uh to make that happen you know one of the one of the reasons we needed that to happen with regards to when it comes to special operations you know Listen, I know the mission of this police department and I know the dangers that because of our mission that we put our officers in harm's way. I know that every time, you know, and this it's just philosophical, but every time one of our officers or one of our units goes after the worst of the worst that we have in our city um, and puts himself in, puts himself in harm's way, you know, the nine officer involved shootings we've had this year, we've been shot at first seven times. You know, I sometimes you feel a little bit responsible as a chief because that's our mission. 
um, you know, I, I, we have to take the criminal element off the street. So every once in a while, when they put themselves in harm's way, I'm like, man, they're putting themselves in harm's way because that's the mission that I've given that I know we have to do. But it doesn't come without having some remorse when those things happen, even though that's what we have to do. You know, when our special operations units go out, you know, to, to what they do, you know, I, you know, and this is not, you know, patrol sees this every single day and we've reached out to them, but to be specific on special ops, I mean, they're operating in the red every, every day they go out. There's, yeah, we'd like to say, you know, there's a lot of positive interactions that they'll have, but that's not reality. They're going after the worst of the worst and the most violent criminals of the city. And they will do that to protect the residents of the city and put their lives in harm's way every single day. That is not normal. That is, that is not a normal thing. And, and sometimes you got to take a step back and, and, and recognize that fact that, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't have opportunities often to give out stickers and see people, you know, in their best. They see people at their worst every day going after violent criminals every day, recognizing that this might be the day to operate in that world is not normal. But it is 100% necessary to keep our cities and communities safe. So we have to do what we can proactively because it's, let's face it, it's a different breed, the individuals that are in special ops. I've been there. Uh, we, we, if, if we were to break things up, we're, it, it, as, a, as a group, a lot of them will not come forward for help. And so we have to be proactive and know, listen, just, just trust me, this, this will help somebody. And after that incident occurred, um, you know, it was just incredibly important for me to, to, to normalize that as well, that, yeah, you're in special operations and they call it special operations for a reason, um, but you're not special when it comes to mental, mental wellness. You're going through the same shit everyone else goes through and you're going through it every single day, every operation you do, you are fearing for your life and you do it, they do it professionally um, and, and, it's, it, and it's amazing to see. Uh, but at the same time, you can't take it for granted. And so that's why it was important to do it quick. Um, we forget things real easy in police departments and really as, as a society, if you don't do, do something now, people will forget the importance of it in a week from now. Um, so, and that's just the reality of our jobs, of our beloved profession. And so that's why it was important to me to, to do it as quickly as possible before people forget. Thank you for that night. Thank you for doing that at that moment because you, you really came up with that on the fly and you told me, I don't care how you do it, just get it done. And we were going to do it because, you know, the first initial, whoa, wait, wait a minute, we can't do that. We have manpower issues. There's, there's ops to run. There's this. Yes, there are that, that will all continue later on down the road, but we're going to do this first. It's got to happen. It has to happen, but again, I tell you, and I don't, I take credit for nothing. I mean, if it wasn't for, for the work that, you know, our wellness unit has done with that you have done to establish it now, um, you know, I always like to say, I don't want to operate in times of crisis. Imagine if we did not have a wellness unit and I still would have said that, but how much more difficult it would have been to do that. Right. And so this is why. If there's any agency anywhere that's listening to this and maybe they haven't gone through the trauma we've gone through or other agencies have gone through, it's going to happen. And so start something so that if tragedy does hit, you can turn to someone and say you need something done instead of developing something there on the fly. 
Um, and so again, I can't thank you enough for doing that. I understand it was a huge undertaking, but necessary, um, and really continues to set the tone as to how this police department looks at wellness. Chief, I wanted to briefly touch the alcohol policy that you put in place within this last year. Uh, for the listeners, if they're not aware, especially other agencies, the policy was that if an officer came forward and had a problem before there was anything administrative or criminal or likewise some kind of investigation, the department would allow them to go for help. I believe it's for 30 days. We would do our best to make sure that we could cover those costs for them as well. And I think the real important part on this policy was that when they came back from this rehabber program, they were allowed to return back to their original job posting. And if you can just touch on that, what were your thoughts on that? Because recently we've had two of those people who went through the alcohol policy come back and actually promote uh, and one to a lieutenant, which in this department is a, a rank of stature and responsibility. And to see that him going through that program did not affect his career path and the trajectory in which he had planned for himself. Um, it says a lot about the policy, but if you can just speak to it at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously we were getting a lot of, uh, we were getting a lot of officers, a lot of department members that were getting uh, into trouble, uh, whether it's criminal administrative over alcohol related issues. And, you know, one of the dynamics really, when you start looking at it is, you know, an officer, when that occurs to an officer, you know, not only is a discipline process in place, they go on administrative leave for an extended period of time, he, you know, the effects that has on families, et cetera, you know, then they come back depending on, you know, the criminal allegations or what have you, uh, or the severity of the alcohol-related issue, um, termination often followed. And so we lose an officer. Um, and we know, you know, they there's probably not a conference that you go to that, you know, let's face it, um, whether we want to like it or not, the number one way officers, police officers cope with stress uh, is alcohol. And obviously we need better mechanisms to cope with stress um, than that. But, you know, I started thinking about the fact, you know, we either, we either pay now or pay later. And what I mean by that is, so if an officer comes forward before they get into an issue, uh, you know, administrative or criminal, like you said, uh, you know, and one of the reasons officers wouldn't come forward before, I believe, is the fact that if they went somewhere, they would be, they wouldn't be getting paid when they went somewhere, right? They'd have to be using their own time for an illness that in my opinion, uh, oftentimes is a result of the job. And so if they come forward before we will put them on leave, uh, paid leave, uh, for 30 days. So they will still be getting their check for 30 days uh, to go through an uh, inpatient alcohol rehabilitation program, the costs of which uh, are covered uh, by, you know, ATO and, and other uh, other grants and other things that we have. And I think my to my knowledge now, I think we've had 13 people go through the program. Uh, and, you know, one of the dynamics of it that I really wanted to make clear from the start of it was it was really going to be a no questions asked Um to be frank, I don't, the only reason I know two names is because of those, those two individuals wanted to tell me who they were. Um, I very seldom know who's there. I just want them to get better. Uh, there was a promise that was made. If you haven't gotten into trouble and you go get help, it's not going to affect your career. 
Um, and listen, as I said before, man, I'm a cop first and a chief second. I, I know there was a lot of people and I, you know, obviously when, when, when Gordon came in to have a conversation with me at one point, and I think in your podcast, when he saw the policy, he just said, this is bullshit. There's, there's gotta be a catch. I'm gonna go through this. I'm gonna go on the front desk. I'm gonna get off patrol or what have you. There's a catch. But then some people don't have a choice, but to reach out to that olive branch. And, you know, you never know till you know. And so, you know, obviously individuals, when they successfully complete the program, uh, they go back to where they were. Um, And I don't want it to be a blip on their career. And I'll say this. There are officers, there are members of every department, of every rank in this country that is suffering from alcohol abuse. Right? So it would be disingenuous to have someone go through a program and then say it's going to affect your career. You're not going to get where you want to go. When I know, we know in this department and we know in every department in this country or in this world, at every rank, there's individuals that are already operating as alcoholics. And, and so, you know, I think not only when individuals have left that program going back to the units they were in, uh, but yeah, incredibly proud uh, being able to promote two of them that went through the process. I thank them for trusting the department, for trusting me. It, you know, and it, and it really sends a message. If there was anybody, at least from the alcohol rehabilitation program, that thought there was a catch. Um, you know, I, I hope that those fears went away the day those two individuals crossed the stage and got and got their lieutenant's bar and their sergeant stripes. And and it's important for that program, but I think it's important for every program that we roll out, that every program that you guys are still, you know, cooking up to better this department for people to know there is no catch. The only catch is do it, recognize it. There's got to be some skin in the game. Come forward before you get into an issue and a problem. And, you know, it's really helped the credibility of the wellness program. I know there's probably more stories than that. From individuals, trust me, that I know when this comes out, there's got to be a catch. There's got to be a catch. Well, this department uh, not only had those individuals go back to their units, uh, but promoted uh, them both. And I think it's incredibly important for them to have recognized, for them to have trusted. Um, When we know this is a huge issue from wellness and, and alcoholism and alcohol abuse and treatment with stress, who better as a leader, who better as a lieutenant or a sergeant when they have an officer or someone come to them they are a trusted source um and they're going to be huge they're going to be advocates of the program uh to make our officers better i i couldn't think of a uh a a better you know a better characteristic to have uh, as it pertains to wellness to have been able to promote those two individuals who have had remarkable careers uh incredibly well-respected by rank and file that took the steps necessary to make their lives better, and not just professionally, but personally as well. Um, and so I'm proud of that. We've talked to those guys pretty well at this point, you know, ad nauseum. But the thing that resonates the most with me is that they now want to help other people. And that's one of the big things that comes out of that program is service is healing. So for them to be able to come back and get right back to work and other people see them and now they're in leadership positions where they can help other people. That's enormous chief. I don't, I don't know that we can overstate that at all. No, I mean, it, it, it just makes our department stronger, man. I mean, that's, that's the whole goal. 
Um, you know, whenever you come into a place, you, you want to make it better than it was when you first got here. And as I said earlier, there'll be a chief after me that I want to make this place better than when it was before he or she got into sitting in my seat. And I think that's that's huge. Um, I, it starts bringing down that distrust in the sixth floor. And, the, and I, I'll put sixth floor in quotes, but every department has a sixth floor that officers look at and there's distrust. And I'm hopeful that our rank and file will know that when we say we want you, that your wellness is paramount, um, that they'll look at those examples uh, and recognize and realize that we really mean what we say. Chief, I want to ask one final question. I want you to direct it not only to the Dallas Police Department, to, but to the many agencies, first responder community, the leaders of other first responder communities, police, fire. What would you want to say to them to help them have hope in making change and establishing a culture that we're trying to do here in Dallas? You know, I really just say it starts with the leadership. Um, you know, the buy-in is going to be in there from the majority of the rank and file. I think the rank and file, we all recognize that mental wellness is incredibly important. Um, don't operate in a time of crisis. Uh, there may be some that have not gone through what we've gone through or have gone through what other departments have gone through that are thinking, I don't have a need for this. Because you absolutely do. You're just, you just don't see it. Um at, at that time it is there it's in every department don't operate in a time of crisis i if you have a credible program and you've not had issues i can almost guarantee any leader whether it be police or fire if they set up a wellness program they would be shocked to see the amount of references or the outreach to their wellness programs by starting something proactively and dealing with something before crisis hits and then by establishing something like that, when crisis does hit, you have a tool, you have, a, you have an invaluable tool uh, for your rank and file. You know, what I'd say is it's not enough to simply say um, officer wellness or firefighter wellness is important. It, it, it rings hollow until you put your necessary resources to address it. And again, another message I would give to other leaders, you know, with regards to this is when we talk about wellness, it's not a checkbox. Um, wellness is more than just having an app on your phone. It's more than software. Yeah, that could play a part, but it's just one ingredient. You're checking a box when you have a phone app. Wellness is about having other human beings that understand what other human beings are going through and having conversations. Uh, and so I, I would just say if, if all departments have our phone apps and things of that nature without having dedicated individuals that are reaching out you're missing the mark um and we need to be better um and so again and i'll you know i i don't know anybody who hasn't done it but if there's someone out there that's saying officer wellness is important if they've not put resources towards it it really means nothing uh your rank and file will appreciate it you will save lives i mean i don't say that as hyperbole um you will save lives you will you will save staffing, which is really the least important. Uh, you will save officers' families. You will save marriages. Uh, you will save kids from getting on the conveyor belt that have seen their parents go through this. It, it is so far-reaching um, and so important to do. 
Um, and you know, when you get people in that unit that really care, the unit runs itself because all of you, you know, this is not, this is not, all of you have the heart and all of you care. Uh, and there is, you know, obviously the help that we get in Dallas from you know, our nonprofits and, and others and other organizations that want to help. There's help in every city. They're just waiting for departments to ask them for help. That's all they're waiting for. And, uh, you know, working, you know, obviously hand in hand with your associations, unions for places that have those, have those as well, uh, and bringing them all on board. This is probably one of the easiest policy changes or cultural changes in a department that you have to make. No one's going to argue against it. Uh, and, and it really is that, you know, you want to do your very best that, you know, that if God forbid tragedy strikes, that you've done everything you could, uh, and there's always more you can, but to the point that crisis hits, that you did everything you could to ensure that your men and women had the resources um, to stay healthy, um, both physically and, and mentally. And uh, our unit's going to grow. There's going to be more initiatives. Uh but getting that trust and getting those, and when I say wins, I mean wins from a trust perspective. Um, you know, we're very fortunate, you know, that you know, those two individuals, as an example, that got promoted were exceptional police officers that came forward. And so you have these examples where, you know, that distrust that exists, as I said, in every quote, sixth floor in this country um, starts to, that distrust starts to build into trust. Uh, and then that's how you continue to build the morale. Um, you know, when you say you care about your people, you know, you got to do things out. You got to not uh, think outside the box, but act outside the box. There's way too much thinking outside the box. There's got to be acting outside the box. And I think we've acted outside the box um, because of the amazing uh, individuals we have in wellness, uh, because of the amazing men and women that we have working on this department. Um, and then it builds from there. And as you made mention earlier, individuals that have gone through these programs that now want to be advocates for the program well-respected police officers that there's gonna be some young cops someday that's gonna look at that sergeant that lieutenant that aren't shy about you know the darkness that they went through that's gonna to say to themselves all right as I started this off this is normal I'm gonna ask for help and this department's gonna get me help boss thank you for being innovative for this profession you truly are a old street cop masquerading as a four-star chief. <laughs> Thank you for what you brought to the city of Dallas. This, this, the city and this department is very lucky to have you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that, but again, I, I take no credit. I mean, it's, you have an ama- we, we have an amazing department. I'm just fortunate enough that I was able to get here when I did, um, and just kind of give a little bit of direction, and you guys take it from there. And whether it's crime fighting or whether it's this initiative and wellness. Um, you know, uh, you guys are amazing, so I appreciate all of you. Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey Mrs., hey mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon Never give up on you. Down when you're alone.
Is you heavy when the going gets tough? I'll be your shoulder. Together we'll run up from the bottom. Yeah, we'll rise above. Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey Mrs. Amen. I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon I'll never give up on you I'll never give up on you.